Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you constantly amaze us and overwhelm us with who you are. God, that's what we want to know. We want to know who you are. We want to know you personally. And so, God, we're praying as we study your word today that you would make yourself known to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to ask the question, who can stand against the really bad guys? The Nazis introduced an industrial level of death to Europe and the world in World War II. Some people estimate that during World War II, the Nazis were responsible for killing 17 million people, many of them Jews and Soviets and Poles, among others. The brutality of it all was shocking. So was the bureaucratic and industrial nature of the whole process, because You see, the Nazi regime relied on building all of these camps. People had to be transported from one place to another. Records were kept. And the Nazis brought industrial evil to the world. In a similar fashion, the Assyrian Empire brought an industrial level of death to the ancient world. The Assyrian Empire was bent on conquering the entire Fertile Crescent from Babylonia in the east to Egypt in the west, and they were absolutely brutal in their methodology. They were were relentless in their conquest and brutal in their methodology. You've probably heard that the Assyrians, when they would conquer an area, would kill many people. They did so in an industrial and a systematic kind of way when they conquered a region because they were seeking to terrorize the population and the next place that they would conquer. They were looking to eliminate opposition. After killing many people, they would deport many of the people from a conquered region in order to prop up the economy and industry of other regions. And then they would import new people to live in the place to undermine future possibilities of insurrection. They would put a levy on the conquered region, and the money taken from the conquered region would fund building projects back in the Assyrian heartland, and it would pay for the army to keep conquering new regions. It was death, conquest, and evil on an industrial and bureaucratic scale. Now, Nahum chapter 1 verse 1 indicates that the prophet Nahum may have had a front row seat to everything 
that happened in Assyria. Nahum chapter 1 verse 1 reads, an oracle concerning Nineveh, that is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. And so right here we meet the prophet Nahum who lived and worked in the late 7th century BC and we get very little about him other than the fact that he is speaking to and about Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And he tells us where he's from. He's from Elkosh. Now, scholars are divided on where the city of Elkosh was, but one of the leading possibilities is that Elkosh is the modern town city of Elkush, which is roughly 50 miles away from ancient Nineveh. A valley mission team was recently in Elkush and had the opportunity to see what purports to be the tomb of the prophet Nahum. They took a picture of the purported tomb of the prophet Nahum. Now, if Nahum lived in modern Elkush, Elkosh, back in his day, then that means that Nahum's family, decades earlier, had been deported from Israel or Judah and forcibly resettled a short distance away from Nineveh. And if that's the case, then the prophet Nahum saw Assyrian brutality up close and personal. But Nahum chapter 1 verse 1 reminds us that this is not just a message from a man. This is a message to us from God about Nineveh and about evil. You see, Nahum chapter 1 verse 1 indicates that this is not just Nahum's opinion about Assyrian aggression. He's not writing an editorial. Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, says that this is an oracle from God, a vision given to God, to, to Nahum, by God. This is God's word about Nineveh, about the Assyrian Empire, and about the really, really bad guys. Because you see, we ask questions about who can stand against the really bad guys? Because you see, the bad guys in history, like the Nazis, cause many people to ask questions. When bad guys, really bad guys, arise in history, people ask questions like, where is God? Is God good? Is God powerful? Can God do anything about bad guys like the Nazis? But bad guys are frequently also more personal. We run into bad guys individually and personally. We run into bad things in our own lives. Bad guys and bad things come our way. And the prophet Nahum is asking, who's going to stand against these bad guys? And that means that we really, really want to know what the prophet Nahum has to say. But to understand what Nahum is saying, we have to think for just a moment more about the Assyrian Empire because the ancient world must have asked, who could stand against the Assyrians? Now, if you remember, the Assyrians seemed to repent during the life and ministry of Jonah. Jonah's another one of our minor prophets, and God called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach. Jonah went reluctantly and preached 
the shortest sermon ever, but the people of Nineveh, the Bible says, repented of their evil then. However, history tells us that after repenting, the people of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire went back to their murdering and conquering ways. History shows us that the Assyrians invaded and destroyed Israel. The Assyrian Empire went into Israel, the kingdom of Israel, multiple times. The last of those times they invaded and they laid siege to the city of Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And after three years, they breached the city walls and they destroyed Samaria. Many, many people died. Tens of thousands of people were deported. New populations were imported, just as was Assyrian custom. And in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was virtually wiped out. The Assyrians also later, two decades later, invaded Judah. Judah had rebelled and refused to pay tribute and taxes to the Assyrians, and so the Assyrian army invaded. They captured and plundered dozens of towns and cities in Judah. They laid siege to the city of Jerusalem itself. But the Bible tells us that while the Assyrian army was encamped around Jerusalem and things looked dire, by night, God sent the angel of death through the camp of the Assyrian army. In the morning, sun rose, and there were 185,000 dead Assyrian soldiers outside of Jerusalem. The invasion was over. Jerusalem had survived barely. You see, all of this was judgment from God. In the other minor prophets, the minor prophets confront the sins of Israel and Judah, and God says through his prophets that judgment is coming. God says, I'm going to send the Assyrians. They're going to conquer Israel. They're going to punish Judah. And so some of what the Assyrians did came as judgment from God because of what his people had done to disobey him because of their evil. But the Bible tells us that the Assyrians went too far. When they conquered, the Assyrians were brutal. The Assyrians destroyed too much. And not only that, they bragged that they had done it in the power of their gods, that they had conquered God's people, and in so doing, had conquered the Lord himself. The Assyrians went too far. And so the Assyrian Empire and the capital at Nineveh ceased to be an instrument of God's wrath, and instead became the object of God's wrath. And that is what the prophet Nahum is addressing. Because you see, while the ancient world may have been asking who could stand against the Assyrians, Nahum was asking the question, who can stand against the Lord in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, Nahum tells us who the Lord is and what he says about God may be a bit surprising. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2 reads, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. So Nahum starts by telling us who God is because God's nature leads to what God himself does. And he says that God is jealous 
and avenging and wrathful. These are things that probably surprise us to hear because these traits are not safe in human hands. We cannot handle being jealous and avenging and wrathful. We make it sinful every time. But these traits are safe in the hands of God. We learn that God is jealous. And what that means is that God has an exclusive covenant relationship with his people. It's kind of like a marriage. Because they have an exclusive relationship, God demands loyalty from his people. But it also means that he commits to being their protector. No one is supposed to come between God and his people, and the Assyrians came between God and his people, and God is jealous of this intervention. Nahum tells us that God is avenging, meaning that God does not leave evil unjudged. He says God is wrathful, meaning that God becomes angry at sin and evil. Because of who God is, we know what God is going to do. And in verses 3 through 5, Nahum the prophet tells us that God is a God of unstoppable power. Verses 3 through 5 continue. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds or the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Nahum is giving us here a picture of God's power that we can grasp and understand. He says God's power is like the whirlwind, like the hurricane, like the tornado. He's a storm. We can understand that image. He he goes on to say that God is so big that clouds, we look at as above us and massive, are as particles of dust skittering around the feet of God. He says his voice and his judgment comes in such a way that when God speaks in wrath, the oceans dry up. The fertile places of earth turn crisp. He says these hills, these mountains, when God speaks, they shake. And when God acts, the earth's crust itself heaves. And Nahum is just getting started in his picture of the unstoppable power of God. But having asserted the unstoppable power of God, Nahum next asks the question, who can stand against or before the Lord? And he asks that question with a twist. In verses 6 and 7 we read, who can stand before the Lord's indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. And so God is, Nahum is asking this question, who can stand before or against the Lord? And he doesn't answer the question 
The answer is implied. Of course, no one can stand before that kind of power. Rocks crumble in the face of God. Not even the Assyrians can stand before that kind of power. But then he reminds us, the Lord is good. And he says all that power that can be used for judgment and destruction can also be used to protect his people. The people of Judah had cried out to God, and God heard their cry, and he was now the refuge for a time for the people of Judah. And when we, God's people, cry out to him now for safety and protection, he is to us a refuge. It's a question with a twist. But having said that he will protect his people, God next is going to forecast the final fate of Nineveh and the Assyrians in verses 8 through 10. But with an overwhelming flood, he, the Lord, will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. But they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. And so he's saying very clearly here, Nahum is saying that God is going to judge Nineveh like a flood. He's coming after them with overwhelming force. He will chase them into darkness, and they'll try to stand before him, but they're going to stand before him like a drunk stumbling around, and they are really like dry stuff that's just ready to burn in the presence of God. And Nahum says when God comes after Assyria, after Nineveh, when he judges them, he'll judge them once, and they will not rise again. Nahum was totally right about the fate of Nineveh and of the Assyrians. When he wrote this in the second half of the 7th century BC, the Assyrian Empire was already beginning to show signs of weakness. It was beginning to crumble under its own weight. The armies of the Babylonians and the Medes from the south and the east were constantly coming against the Assyrians, and the Medes were the first ones to reach the city of Nineveh. They laid siege to Nineveh for three months. Inside, the Assyrians were so confident that they would win that one night they threw a party. Everyone, particularly the army, got drunk, and the Medes saw their opportunity. They breached the city walls. They came flooding into the city, executing judgment on the city. They, they tried to erase the evidence of the kings. They desecrated the idols. And then, having taken everything of value, they burned the city with a vengeance. The Assyrians tried to regroup, but when Nineveh was destroyed, the end of the Assyrian Empire was written. The city of Nineveh and the Syrian empire fell, never to rise again. God did stop the evil city of Nineveh and the empire behind it. 
But you see, this brings us to a truth we need to understand, and that is that God will judge evil by his unstoppable power. And God is promising to judge evil right here in the book of Nahum. Because you see, we recognize that when God promises to stop Nineveh, he means something more. The city of Nineveh stands in for the king of the Assyrians, the bureaucracy that supported him, the, the army that stood with him, and the entire Assyrian empire. And God promised to stop Nineveh and everything associated with it in history, and he did. But Nineveh also stands in for evil itself. And in the book of Nahum, God is promising at the end of time to stop all of evil. Evil can't be left as it is. Think about the Nazis. It would not have been possible to leave the Nazis alone and just say, well, that's them, let's all get along together. They were bent on conquering the world. And as they conquered the world, they planned to eliminate or enslave most of the people groups on Earth. And they were very close to developing atomic weapons, and they had rockets to deliver their armament with. Imagine leaving genocidal maniacs in control of atomic weapons and the means of delivering them around the globe. You can't do that. The Nazis were evil, and the evil of Nazis had to be stopped. You can't just leave that kind of evil alone. And it's important that we recognize that evil is everywhere. Evil is pervasive, it's pernicious, and it's consequential. Evil is pervasive. It touches everything from the youngest child. It causes the ravages of age. It is the reason why we die. It's pernicious. Evil being in every corner of creation is putting roots into creation, and those roots are constantly going deeper and holding more firmly into creation. And evil is consequential. It's the reason why we fight, why we kill, why we steal, why we go to war, why we suffer, why we get sick. Evil is the reason for so many of the things that cause us to suffer. Evil is everywhere. And evil is like a cancer taking grip of creation, and it must be stopped. If you've ever had cancer or known someone with cancer, you know as soon as you hear that diagnosis, you want it stopped and removed as quickly as possible. A friend of mine 20 years ago was diagnosed with a rare and difficult form of lymphoma. And when he got his diagnosis, he, he went for every tool available to stop that cancer. He had chemotherapy, and the chemotherapy tore his body down in the process. Afterward, he had to have a bone marrow transplant. And the way he described the bone marrow transplant to me was more chemotherapy to take his body all the way to the point of death and then bring him back 
hopefully. But he fought. He fought with every tool science had available and with every ounce of strength in his body. Why? Because cancer has to be stopped. And evil is a cancer spreading through all of creation. It is pervasive and pernicious and consequential, and it must be stopped. God will stop evil by his unstoppable power. And that's what the gospel, God's story from creation to conclusion, reminds us. Let's go back through the chapters and see that that's the story we're being told. God's story, the gospel, begins with creation. God made heaven and earth and everything in them. But remember, God created by speaking. He said, let there be, and it was. That's God's unstoppable power in the beginning. We sinned, and when we sinned, we brought evil into the world. When we brought evil into the world, we broke everything. We broke ourselves. We broke creation. And we try to reverse the damage that we've done to repair what we've broken, to stop evil. But we can't stop it all on our own. And so chapter 3, Jesus God sent Jesus into the world, the perfect son of God, the perfect son of man in one person. And in Jesus on the cross, God poured out his wrath on all of our sin and evil and judged our sin and evil. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for sin and evil. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over sin, over death, and over evil. The defining battle in history against evil has already been fought and won. But there's more. Now that Jesus has died to pay the price for our sin in chapter 4, we are offered forgiveness by God. And when we accept that forgiveness, we are given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God. We're made citizens, no longer of the darkness, but citizens of the kingdom of God. Not children of darkness, but children of light. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, We become ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And God, through the Holy Spirit and through us, is now limiting evil and rolling back evil in history and creation. But that's not the final solution, nor is that where our hope really lies. Because we'll never get the job done in history alone. Evil must not just be rolled back and restrained. It has to be stopped and eliminated. Which brings us to chapter 5, symbolized by a crown, reminding us that Jesus returns, and when he does, he comes as king, and he comes to stop evil by God's unstoppable power. And that is the message that Nahum gives to us today. And it's good news I'm going to give you three reasons why God's unstoppable power is good news today. 
Reason number one is that God is a refuge for all who belong to him. You see, we face evil. We face evil things and evil people. And when we do, we cry out for a champion. And God is our refuge by his unstoppable power. That's where this good news begins to impact us personally. But the second reason why God's unstoppable power is good news is that Jesus will return and judge evil finally. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when he returns, comes as king. He pulls us out of creation, and he judges evil with God's unstoppable power. The Bible tells us that evil is going to do its best to stand against and to resist God. But you remember in the beginning, God spoke and creation came into being. Evil will stand against God, but the Bible tells us that in the end, God will speak again and the battle will be over because God's power is unstoppable. And God will take sin and death and evil and all who belong to sin and death and evil and cast them into a lake of fire to be punished forever. Because Jesus will return and judge evil finally. But there's one more reason why God's unstoppable power is good news, and that is that God will reverse the curse. God will reverse the curse. You see, we're living under the curse. When we sinned, Evil entered the world. When evil entered the world, death entered the world. And now sin and death and evil have touched every corner of creation. And sin and death and evil continue to touch every corner of us today. We die because sin and death and evil are a part of the world. We fight, we get sick, we suffer, we murder, we kill, we steal, we envy. All of those things happen because sin and death and evil are still part of this world and touch us. But when God judges sin and death and evil, he will take those things out of creation. The curse will be over. And the Bible says that when God has taken those things out of creation and judged them, he will create again. Old heaven and old earth will dissolve. They'll pass away. And in their place, God will cause to be a new heaven and a new earth. And in the new heaven and new earth, God says, there'll be no more mourning or suffering or crying or pain. That's the old order. And all those old things will be gone. And we will live with him forever. God's unstoppable power is comforting to me the way that my parents' presence was growing up. Now, I understand not everyone grew up in a home that was safe, but I did. I grew up in a home where I felt safe with my parents. And so when I would go to bed at night, I would go to bed safe and sound and secure. I was able to sleep because I knew my parents were there. And I knew that they could handle anything that would threaten me. Now I've grown up and I recognize that as a parent myself, I can't handle everything that would threaten my kids, nor could my parents when I was growing up. But if I felt safe 
with my parents whose power is stoppable when I was growing up. How much more can you and I feel safe knowing that God, whose power is unstoppable, will judge and eliminate evil from all of creation? God stopped the evil city of Nineveh in history. And God will stop evil that seems unstoppable now by his truly unstoppable power at the end of time. That's the message that Nahum brings to us today. May that news bring us comfort and hope. May God's unstoppable power bring you strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.